there you go. Social distancing with Bruce. I hope you had a good chance to listen in to to Bruce's kids and that you're enjoying being at home with your mums and dads uh, around the lounge room watching church this morning. It's great to be together uh, and it's wonderful to worship, isn't it? It's just fantastic. One of the great things, I think, about being a Christian is because we know the Holy Spirit dwells in us, that no matter where we are, people all around the world really are gathering together in Jesus' name through the Spirit. And isn't that just a fantastic thing to know that while we're separated in body, we're actually together in uh, spirit. And it's great to be together worshipping this morning. Uh, Now, my name's David Underhill. I'm one of the pastors here at New Peninsula as well. Uh, And it's great to kind of come together and uh, see what God wants to say to us through his word. Um, But just before we get into that, I've been hearing a lot of people saying that this whole coronavirus is going to change the world. And in actual fact, I can see it already has started to. So if we have a look at something here, um, the payment processing places now have new payment uh, methods you can use. Uh, The Tokyo Olympics now have recognised that this is really sending the wrong message to people, and so they've changed their symbol. (laughs) Do the social distancing. Um, And then, obviously, uh, economically, people are finding it hard as well. And so veterinary clinics have got really um, innovative, and they've taken an old product and found new uses for it. And this is where the the dogs and cats of the world (laughs) are getting their own back on the owners. That's it. It's for your own good, of course. Just don't touch your face. Um, So I'm only joking, of course. Uh, There is lots of things changing in the world. But what we do know uh, is God doesn't change. And what we do know is God is with us through all these difficulties and challenges we're facing. Um, He is our ever-present comfort in time of need. God is our refuge and our strength and our ever-present help when we're in trouble. And we see this all the way through the scriptures. And so I just wanted to start by reminding everybody of that again this morning uh, and just say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again that we can gather in your name and worship, that by your spirit we're connected all over the world, your church together worshipping you this morning. And we thank you for the opportunity to do that. And Father, now as we come and we reflect on Jesus and the opposition he faced in the last week of his life, I just pray again that you'll open our eyes and our hearts to see what you want to teach us this morning. Yeah, And we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. All right. So for those who are joining us this morning who haven't been part of uh, the last few weeks, uh, we've been going through a series looking at Jesus and the opposition he faced in the last week. So I think we've got a slide. Have we got a slide there? Um, And so it was a tough time for Jesus, lots of things going on. But there's some really important things that we can take away from this uh, that relate to us today. And so today we want to look at the story where Jesus faces Pilate, where you've got Pilate, you've got the chief priests and elders, and you've got the crowd there, all in opposition to Jesus. Um, Now, there's an enormous amount of stuff going on here, uh, and we obviously can't delve into all of it. So we just want to kind of touch on some of the most important things that we can see here. And so let's just have a read through this story, and then we'll see what we can get out of it. So if you've got a Bible there, open it up. um, And you can't say you forgot to bring it to church this morning because it's just in the bedroom. Um, And and as Glenda said before, it's probably a good chance to change out of your pyjamas anyway. So grab your Bibles and let's have a look at this together. So it's Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, uh, and starting from verse 11 there. And it says this. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, that's Pilate, and the governor asked him, 
Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they bring against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge. To the great amazement of the governor... Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. And at that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Barabbas. Barabbas? Barabbas. We got it. (laughs) So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus? Who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Do not have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. Now, obviously, there is a lot of stuff going on here, um, but there's a few key things Matthew wants you to see uh, in the way he's told this story here, and which we want to kind of bring out for the whole thing. The first thing is that Jesus is actually in control. That To all who are watching at the time, and even to the disciples, it looked like Jesus had now been caught up in some political misfortune where he was now about to be crucified by the Roman Empire for speaking out and speaking up against the Jewish system of the day. But it's not that Jesus has somehow been mistakenly caught up in this. Jesus is in charge the whole time. He doesn't have his life taken from him. He gives it up. He takes up the cross. It isn't forced on him. And that's one of the first things Matthew wants you to see here. And if we look at the passage a little more closely, you can see this. So he says, are you the king? Obviously. And then Jesus replies, you have said so. And then the elders bring a charge against him and he gives no reply. And then Pilate asks him and he still gives no reply to the great amazement of the governor. Now, there's something really important that actually is coming through here. Why is the governor amazed about this? 
Well, because in the Roman days, uh, part of the judicial system was, if you did not give an answer to the charges against you, then you were considered to be guilty. And so Pilate is amazed that Jesus is not giving any explanation as to why he's being charged with being uh, sedition or uh, overthrowing the Jewish system by saying he's the king of the Jews. And which was in actual fact a kind of interpretation of what he was trying to say. But people had correctly interpreted that Jesus was in fact the king of the Jews. But what Matthew's trying to show here is Jesus is in charge of this. Because if Jesus had actually argued his case in that time, it would have extended the trial. And the trial would have gone beyond the Passover. Now Jesus is in charge. He knows exactly what he's doing this whole time. This is on his schedule. He's actually making sure things follow the pattern he wants during this time. He's in control of the agenda. And we, want, and we need to know that. And another part of what we're seeing here, and why Matthew is showing us this, is the parts where he says he gave no answer. Now Matthew is keen to actually let you know that. Um, he gave no answer and he made no reply because that's a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, where Jesus, it says there, of the Messiah, that he was oppressed um, and he was berated, but he gave no answer. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter, but he did not open his mouth. And so we're seeing the fulfillment of this prophecy here and that Jesus is in charge. So that's the first thing we need to see or that Matthew wants us to see here. This is not an accident. There's no mistaking. Jesus isn't caught up in some strange political events outside his control. He's in charge of the whole thing. So that's the first thing. Now, the second thing is we need to see here, which is obvious to all those who have read the New Testament and know how the story unfolds, that Jesus is innocent of these charges. So we see, if we've got that slide, um, are we up to that slide? No, slides are going down. All right. Um, We see here that Pilate is trying to get Jesus released. All the way through this scripture, we see that. Um, And what we find is, Pilate knows that he is innocent. And Matthew is making sure we understand he's innocent. Because obviously, in Jesus' day, there were lots of rooms after Jesus had died and rose again. And when the Gospels were being distributed, there were lots of people spreading rumors saying Jesus was guilty of sedition and that's why he was killed, rather than him being innocent. So what we see here, if we go back, and I hope you've got your Bibles open there because I'm not sure, are we got the slides going yet? No? No, there we are. Happy days. Um, So we see Pilate is trying to get Jesus released. But have a look. We see it here um, in verse 18, where Pilate actually says he knew that Jesus was being brought to trial out of the self-interest of the chief priests and elders, not because he had actually done anything wrong. And then we also see when his wife sends a message to him, do not have anything to do with that innocent man. We know that Matthew is trying to make it clear. And then verse 23, once Pilate's tried to get Jesus released and the crowd cries out, crucify him, he says, why? What crime has he committed? And obviously there's no answer because he hasn't committed any crime. So that's the second thing we need to know here, that Jesus is innocent of any of the charges. And again, that's a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, where it says um, he was given a place among the, the, um, the dead, even though he was innocent of any charges and there was no violence in him. 
And so we see that we're getting these things being drawn out of the Old Testament, proving that Jesus is who he says he is, the king and the fulfillment of these prophecies, but also that he is innocent of any of these charges. And then we get the third thing we see out of what Matthew's trying to do here, and that is showing us those who are in opposition to Jesus and showing us the types of people they are and why they're opposed to Jesus. So let's have it. And this is where I want to spend most of the time uh, this morning, is having a focus of these characters. So let's have a look at the first one, uh, which is Pilate. Uh, There we go. The first one is Pilate, obviously. He's the main character in all this. Now, I think Pilate has been given a bad rap uh, in terms of him uh, letting Jesus be crucified in this. Because when you think about what Pilate's role is, what, what is he trying to do? He's the governor of that region. What's his main task? His main task is to maintain order, to keep the Roman roads open for commerce and to collect taxes. That's his main task uh, in overseeing this Judean area as the governor. So all he's trying to do here is actually keep order. And so we see that he's not not really opposed to Jesus. In actual fact, it looks like he, he recognises Jesus is innocent of any of these charges. He's trying to get him free. But at the end of the day, he doesn't care. It's of no interest to him. It doesn't change the way he needs to, to go about the work he's got to do because he only cares about making sure he can maintain the, the calm and maintain order in the area. And we see that when we get to verse 24 um, in Matthew's Gospel here, chapter 27 where it says, When Pilate saw he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting, he recognised, look, what's the point? My job is to keep order. And so then he just says, well, okay, I'm innocent of this. It's on your heads now because I wanted to let him go, but you want him crucified, so that's on you. And then he just lets Jesus, or he has Jesus flogged and crucified. So I think this tells us something about the type of opposition to Jesus, which actually is just like, well, who cares? I mean, it's not that they're against Jesus. It's just Jesus can't give them any advantage. There's no way of them um, helping them further their careers or further their political kind of ideologies. And so that's what we're seeing here with Pontius Pilate. It's not that he's against Jesus. It's just he can't get anything from Jesus. It's of no real point to him. Pilate and others like him, they're political animals. They're just worried about how they can advance their careers, how they can get ahead, how they can actually fulfill the requirements of their work and their jobs so that they look good. And so that's what we're seeing here with Pilate. And we see this all the time today. And and it's not like Pilate's a bad person and people like this are bad people because even the church does this. The whole Reformation, we have all sorts of things going on when the Catholic Church and the priests could see that Jesus was actually um, going ahead. Uh, sorry, not Jesus. The, uh, the Protestant Reformation was going ahead. They got upset about it right? and, and they wanted to kind of do something about this. Uh, and it wasn't that they didn't like the people. It was that they were losing their power and they wanted to actually challenge what was going on. So we see this all the time. Um, people are just generally not interested and it doesn't help them. In actual fact, if you saw the McCrindle research uh, just a couple of years back, one of the main reasons why people reject um, Christianity and Jesus in Australia is they just see it as irrelevant. It just doesn't add anything to their life. They, they can't see how Jesus is going to make their life any better, 
So they just ignore it. And so I think that's what we get here. So that's one type of person uh, who rejects and opposes Jesus. Then we get the second lot of people um, that we see in this story, which is the chief priests and the elders. Now, they are, again, they're they're threatened by Jesus because they're going to lose something. And so there's a whole group of people we see who are like that as well. And we see Pilate actually identifies this when he says they did this out of self-interest. Um, and again, it's not like this is new. And this is always happening. There are people who reject Jesus because he threatens them. He threatens their way of life. He threatens their self-interest uh, and what they want to get out of life. And so they reject Jesus, not because they've looked into it and they've decided that he is wrong, but that his message threatens them and their way of life, just like we see with the chief priests and elders. Their job was to maintain the order in the temple and to maintain the law, and they could see that Jesus was taking away some of that authority and threatening their way of life. And so they wanted to have him crucified to protect themselves and their own interests. And again, like the Reformation, we saw that happening. But also, once the Reformation had started, you even see that with some of the, um, the, the uh, Lutherans and the, what was the new Church of England at the time, who were threatened by the radical reformers and even the Baptists. And they had to go, you know, killing people to protect their own interests because they were so worried that this new form of Christianity was threatening where they were at. So it's one of those things. It's internal to people. It's not that this is a unique thing to just Jesus, but it's the way people respond to threats. So we see that in the chief priests and the elders. And then we get uh, the next group is the crowds. Now, this fascinates me about the crowds because I think this probably represents the majority of people who reject Jesus in Australia at least. Um, And they're rejecting Jesus because of this. If you see here, Matthew shows us, um, verse 20 says, But the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Now, I actually think this is where the majority of people fall when it comes to rejecting Jesus. That they are actually persuaded by those they look up to. They're persuaded by the people in the media or they're persuaded by someone in their workplace or they're persuaded by a lecturer they had when they were in uni or a school teacher or a coach or someone like that. They're persuaded that Jesus is irrelevant to them and that they should just ignore him. Not because they've looked into it themselves, but because they are just listening to the people they think probably know more than them or have more authority than them. And we see that all the time. And in actual fact, if you've seen this meme, the NPC meme, it's that kind of thing where people are just picking up something they've heard from somebody else, not something they've actually looked into themselves, and they're just parroting that very same thing um, that they kind of want to identify with that particular group. Now, I've seen this firsthand. When I was teaching RE at the Gap High School, a long, long time ago now, um, we used to do this thing with the the year eights, which in Queensland is the first year of high school. Um, 
When we took them for RE, we would do a little survey with them where we said uh, all sorts, we asked all sorts of questions just to kind of get a feel for where they were at as a class. But a couple of the things that were really important to us, we asked them, when you were at primary school, did you ever do any RE? And then they'd tick yes or no. And about 90% um, who were coming from the local primary school, the two local primary schools, um, said yes, that they had done RE. And then the next question was, what did you think of it? Did you enjoy it? Or something of that nature. And then there was kind of a five-level things that was, it was terrible, it, we didn't like it, to, uh, all the way up to, yeah, it was great, we really enjoyed it. And then again, about 80% of the kids in those classes um, ticked the box of around a three or a four that, yeah, it was pretty good and that they enjoyed it. Um, and then at the end of the little survey of this first one, because we used to do one at the end as well, um, one of the last questions was, what do you think about doing RE today? And fascinatingly, the groups at the beginning of the year, it was about a 50-50 split, um, would say, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, or no, no, I don't want to do it. And then, but by the end of the year, end of year eight, um, the classes we're having, the, the figures went up to about 80% saying, no, this is going to be boring, I don't want to be here today. And fascinating, what that actually indicated was that over the year, their uh, interaction with other people in the school, listening to other stories, they started to imbibe this kind of cultural thing that somehow Jesus was irrelevant, that religion was irrelevant, and you just ignore it and you don't care about it and you just get on doing the sorts of things to enjoy your life. And so that's what I think is the majority of what is going on with people who oppose Jesus or just reject Jesus and just couldn't care less. I think it's this thing where they've just mostly been influenced uh, by the people around them and never really looked into it themselves. Um, so they're the three things. But I want to say one more thing about the crowds, because this, I think, is why it gets so challenging for us as the people of God um, when we're in the minority and when the culture says, be quiet, don't talk about it. In fact, if you do, there's something slightly wrong with you. Um, it is really difficult in a crowd. And I think you can see this um, in what's going on with the crowd here. Where when uh, Pilate says, why, what, should, what do you want me to do with um, this Jesus? They said, crucify him. And then he says, why, what crime have they committed? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And then we get in the next verse, which I pointed out before, that he could see an uproar was starting. Now, if you can place yourself into that um, kind of scene, it's really hard to go against the crowd when the emotions are getting um, elevated, where people are starting to scream out, crucify him, crucify him. It's like when, if you remember being at primary school and then a fight started in the schoolyard, probably never happened at your school, happened at mine. Um, and then everyone's yelling, fight, fight, fight. And imagine trying to step in there and say, no, stop, no, stop, stop. And the crowd would just grab you and throw you out of the way and go, fight, fight, and keep it going. You know, so I actually understand it is difficult to go against the crowd, especially when it's getting emotional. Um, and so I can see why lots of people just keep quiet when it comes to talking about faith. Now, fascinating, isn't it great? I didn't know that we were going to have uh, social distancing from Bruce today. But it's fascinating that the kids in the story with Bruce were saying that very same thing, that sometimes it's really hard to go against the crowd and to speak up. But that's what God is calling us to do in this case, 
to talk about Jesus. Now, in other things, yes, we do need to go along with the crowd and do the right thing. You know, And I think even the fact that we're not having church this morning indicates these are the types of things that where we follow the crowd or we follow the Australian government uh, instructions and we do the right thing and we don't gather together in large groups, uh, but we keep our distance and slow this uh, spread of this virus down. But when it comes to the gospel message, we need to consistently keep telling people about it and keep talking about it, no matter what the crowd actually says. So let's kind of pull it all together uh, and finish this off. Uh, I hope you're still watching and you haven't disappeared off to do something else. (laughs) Um, Let's have a look. So what is Matthew actually showing us here? The first thing is that Jesus is in control. And isn't that a great message for us today? That Jesus isn't caught up. God hasn't been caught out. This isn't some accident that happened. Jesus is in charge of all the events and the timing. He is in, uh, has the agenda and he's making things happen. And we need to know that today. Given all the things that are going on around us, given all the stuff that's making us anxious and worried, we need to stick with these words uh, from the book of Broskies, if you've ever read that book. It said, keep calm, bros. Jesus is in control. We're going to be all right. We will get through all this, and no matter what challenges come our way, God will walk with us, and we will be okay. We are the people of God, and God will protect us. And then the most important thing that's actually going on for us here today is we just don't know all the reasons why people reject the message of Christ, why people are opposed to Jesus. Now, some people are very adamant about saying, you know, they hate religion, they hate all forms of religion, they hate Jesus as much as they hate Muhammad. Um, Some of those people are quite expressive about why they do. But for most people, they probably don't talk about it, and we don't know why they're rejecting the message of Christ. There's an individual thing. So it's not our worry and our concern about those things. All we need to be worried about is actually sharing the message and particularly coming up to Easter, particularly coming up to actually uh, telling, retelling the story of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. So can I encourage you in these days that while through the social media apps we've got, through phone calls, through talking to your neighbours, you know, five metres away over the fence uh, or across the road. I I actually saw another thing last night um, where someone had organised a street party, but they're all just sitting on chairs (laughs) yelling out to each other across the road. Um, Got to get innovative. Um, But these are the times, you know, just to keep talking uh, about Jesus and telling people, you know, we're having Easter online, uh, we're having the services online, and, and maybe invite people to watch the church in the safety of their own living room and hear what uh, the message is on Easter. So there's a few things uh, we can do from that. So I want to encourage you in these things and encourage you to keep meeting together by those technologies and staying in touch with one another. Let me pray. Father, again, I want to thank you. Thank you that we see here that Jesus is opposed by different types of people for different reasons. And that if Jesus was opposed, then why do we think we wouldn't be? Why do we think people would take us any more serious than they took Jesus? And in actual fact, that's not our concern, what other people think. It's not our concern whether or not people accept us or accept the message. Our concern is simply to tell people what we know of you. And I just pray again for that boldness of your spirit. Father, that sense of just being led by you in this. To look for the opportunities and whenever they arise to share the good news of Christ. And we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. All right. Thanks, everyone. It's great to be together.